Welcome to Sing Second Sports. Thanks for coming back with us for yet another pod and conversation about Navy sports. This week, we've got a fantastic show. We're going to be talking lacrosse, uh, talking with Navy lacrosse coach Joe Amplo, also with uh, Navy lacrosse legend Mickey Jarbo. Uh, And speaking Naval Academy lacrosse legends, we talked a little bit on the last pod about Pat Donnelly. Wags, I, I'm going to just go straight to you on this for a little bit more on the story you wrote about about Pat Donnelly and what he meant not only to the Navy lacrosse program, but also the, to the Navy, Naval Academy football program. Well, John, I'll start off by saying that I've written a lot about Navy athletics from the 60s era, and it was a glorious time for Navy athletics, uh, football, bat, uh, lacrosse, both incredible sport, both of them dominating nationwide. And what really kind of struck me as I worked on this Pat Donnelly article is the men of that era, the athletes at Navy in the 60s, both football and lacrosse, and often they overlapped. A lot of great football players were recruited by Willis Bilderback to play lacrosse, Pat Donnelly among them. But they were just first-class Americans. All of what was said about Pat Donnelly when I wrote this obituary tribute could be applied to Roger Staubach, to Skip Orr, to Tom Lynch. I could go on and on. Carl Tamilevich, who we had on our pod last week. These were great men. And I don't know that it's an era we'll ever see. I don't know we'll see a generation like that again. But Pat Donnelly was one of the few men I haven't gotten to know as well because he's had Alzheimer's for about a decade. And so when I do the retrospective stories about the Navy football teams and and the lacrosse teams from the 60s, I tend to interview other people. I haven't been able to interview Pat Donnelly because of his his, his health situation. But it was really neat to delve into his life and who he was. Remarkable, he was an incredibly intelligent man. He received multiple postgraduate scholarship offers. He wound up getting advanced degrees from Cambridge and Massachusetts Institute of Technology. He worked in the Civil Engineering Corps for the Navy for most of his career as an officer. He reached the rank of captain. He, both of his sons are Naval Academy graduates. You know, just look at the quote from his wife. That says it all about who he was. It was one of the most compelling quotes I've ever included in an article because she said that being married to that man was the greatest thing that anyone could ever have asked for. So farewell to Pat Donnelly. What a great Naval Academy graduate. What a great Navy athlete and what a great American he was. Hey, John, let me uh, jump in here. Um, You had an opportunity to ask your dad about Pat Donnelly as they played against each other when your dad was at Maryland and when Pat was playing as a mid. Um, Do you want to set up that interview? Now is probably a great time to run that clip. Yeah, I appreciate it, Chris. Um, yeah, a little background on my dad. I, I know I've mentioned him a couple of times on this pod, but great man. Uh, raised me as a single parent. Um, and he uh, graduated from the University of Maryland in 1965. Uh, went to St. Mary's High School here in Annapolis. Played lacrosse, football, 
and then went to the University of Maryland on a lacrosse scholarship, uh, played, started for three years. I was back when freshmen couldn't play on the varsity team, uh, was an All-American his junior year and senior year, and then won the C. Marklin Kelly Award in 1965. So he and Pat Donnelly had a very unique relationship, uh, knew each other very well, all of his years playing for a powerhouse like Maryland, never beat Navy. And Pat Donnelly was a huge, huge part of that. So um, my dad, you know, kind of like Pat Donnelly, unfortunately, is, is in assisted living and struggling with dementia, but we caught him on a really good day. And, you know, I'd, I'd really like, you know, for our audience to hear him talk about who Pat Donnelly was as a man and how talented he was as a lacrosse player. Go ahead and play the clip. Hey, Dad, thanks for uh, joining us. We've talked on the show about how you played uh, both against him and with him. Um, can you tell me just a little bit more about what it was like to play against him at Navy? He was a starting fullback on the football team, and I'm pretty sure he's an All-American. He was just a brute of a player. Uh, you know, he one of those knock you down rather than go around you. And I was a big fan of his while he was at the academy and I was at Maryland. We both got selected for the North-South All-American game that was played in Syracuse. Pat was there for representing Navy along with two of his teammates, Pat Philbin and Neil Henderson. We all got together in Syracuse and uh, had dinner together and all. Pat Donnelly was unbelievably one of the nicest people I've ever met. What was he like when you were playing against him? I think you you used to tell me all the time when I was growing up that you know your your teams, although the Maryland teams were really good, you never beat Navy. Does it kind of still bother you to this day that you guys never beat Navy? Yes, the answer first is. It did. It does bother me. We beat everybody else at least once, but never did we beat Navy. What we were talking about on the show, um, you know, was just how how he represented Navy so well. You know, at a particularly interesting time with Jimmy Lewis, uh, like you said, Neil Henderson, Pat Tilden, uh, Roger Staubach on the football team. Yeah. Um, you know, if you if you had to if you had to rank it. Yeah, I know you probably wouldn't want to face either of them uh, as they're coming at you when you're between the pipes. But, you know, who had a tougher shot? Was it Jimmy Lewis or, or Pat Donnelly? Well, Jimmy Lewis was a magician. He could get a shot off without me even knowing it. And I'm sitting there in the goal waiting for to stop his shot. And next thing I know... The fans are cheering, and I look in the back of the net, and there's a ball. I mean, he just, (laughs) he took me to the cleaners. At Maryland, the coaches had us rank our opponents, and Pat Donnelly was the most feared of, even though it was different positions he and Jimmy Lewis played. Overall, as to the power it gave the Navy team, Donnelly was the best. I don't remember any anything out of the ordinary from, from his playing football. 
lacrosse, he he was just a brute. He'd take the ball away from us like we were kids. He, he'll kill you with playing the game with while aiding his team to win. He was a neat guy. Well, hey, Dad, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about Pat Donnelly. I know it. I know it hurts you, and you were talking to to Bill Wagner of the Capitol, who's always been a big fan of yours as well. Um, you know, I, I appreciate you giving us your perspective. It's it's kind of a neat look back in history. So uh, thank you for telling us uh, a few stories about Pat Donnelly. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to be in a position to say something about Pat Donnelly. It just makes me feel good to talk about him. Horrible to think about it, though. I, I just can't believe he's gone. John, that was uh, that was great. Um, it was great to be able to hear your dad talk about his time at Maryland. Um, you know, I, I've enjoyed uh, hearing him tell those stories a, a few times um, o- over the years, and to be able to talk about Pat and you, you can hear that uh, emotion in, in his voice. That, that was really special, and I really hope that uh, the listeners enjoyed that as well. I, I'd be interested in in Ward's take on what Wag said. Um, I found at my time at the academy, it was very easy to kind of look past athletes um, because they had so many things going on. I would say it wasn't until I got to first, second, third fleet tour where the value of the skills that um, made them great athletes at the academy uh, also made them great naval officers, both from a physical standpoint, whether it was in the airplane uh, or on the ship, but also their ability to... uh, to kind of handle multiple things and interact with people. But Ward, uh, your take, especially as Wags talks about uh, Donnelly and the life that he lived uh, and the success that he had uh, in the Navy. Yeah, I agree, Chris. Um, I think it's kind of binary, and I don't know what percentage I would ascribe to the whole population, but there's the athletes who maybe were never meant for the Naval Academy and, and used it as a way to play Division One sports who were always headed for the door as soon as possible. But then there were the ones who were in it to win it from the outset and showed up on I-Day for all the, all the right reasons. And they would be uh, all of the things that playing fields have eaten and all the other metaphors about sports and warfare uh, would represent. Fantastic leaders, leaders by example, teammates, team players, the best naval officers I ever flew with or served under uh, as flag officers um, were former Navy football players or former college athletes. I was aide to Air Land, and he, he's actually in the, uh, the Hall of Fame for, um, for uh, the college he went to, not the Naval Academy. But I concur entirely. And, uh, and, and Joe Donnelly is one of those guys. For those of you who didn't read uh, Wags's piece uh, in the Capitol, uh, please go to the Capitol website or, or check out Wags on Twitter and, uh, and read that piece. Again, I'll highlight it for the umpteenth time. There is no better historian. There is no better contribution to local Annapolis Naval Academy and Arundel County sports history and knowledge than Bill Wagner uh, that's why he's a recurring guest on this show, and that's why I encourage everyone to check that out. He is a fantastic reporter and provides first-rate coverage of lacrosse. And for this week, we're going to cover uh, Navy lacrosse a little bit more in depth. We're going to go to break, and when we return, we'll be joined by Naval Academy lacrosse coach Joe Amplo. This is Sing Second Sports. 
Sing Second Sports is sponsored by Mills Fine Wine and Liquor in downtown Annapolis, owned and operated by Jerry and Jen Donahoe, class of 94 graduates from the Naval Academy. They deliver to Annapolis, they'll deliver to your boat. Please rely on Mills Fine Wine and Liquor for your refreshment and beverage needs. All right, we're back. Um, awesome, awesome intro there. Uh, many thanks to uh, Wags for his article and, and his perspectives on Pat Donnelly and, and purely Ward uh, for you know his commentary about you know what the physical mission meant or means when you get out to the fleet. I think we can all talk about uh, what the value of athletics is as it translates into leadership and performance, whether it's in the fleet or in the civilian sector, business world, whatever. Um, so let's jump right into our first interview, our coach segment. We are very happy to be joined by Joe Amplo. He's the ninth head coach in Navy uh, lacrosse history. He was named head coach on June 5th, 2019. He's established himself as one of the premier head coaches in the sport after building the Marquette University program from the ground up. He's from Farmingville, New York. He attended Hofstra University and was an All-America East performer as a senior in 1999 and led Hofstra to the quarterfinals of the NCAA championship. He played 58 games in his career and notched 91 ground balls, 40 of which came during his senior season. He graduated from Hofstra with a bachelor's degree in geography and earned a master's degree in college student counseling. Very happy to be joined by Coach Joe Amplo. Coach, how are you doing? I'm doing great, John. Thank you for having me. All right. So I'll, I'll jump right into it before I toss it over to Ward. Um, we've asked every coach this as we've gone through. You know, your, your season was cut. Uh, very short. Yeah, the, the fall sports were able to get through it. The spring sports, unfortunately, were, were the ones most adversely affected by the COVID pandemic. And, and now, unfortunately, it looks like the fall sports coming up in this upcoming season are going to be affected as well. So as you embarked on your, on your maiden voyage as, as the head coach, how did the pandemic you know, kind of affect your mindset, your players' mindset, and how are you using that going forward in terms of recruiting? Well, I, I think obviously shock and kind of a surreal feeling for all of us. I think everybody experienced similar emotions, disappointment. And, and honestly, we were trying to hang on to the first couple of weeks so that there would be some chance we would be able to get on the field together, whether it be practicing or, or playing a game. But once um, – once a month went by, we realized that it was over, you know, so it wasn't the abrupt ending initially uh, that, that some people may have expected. We were still holding out hope that, that we would figure something out. But as, as news continued to, uh, to dwindle in a negative light there in March and early April, it became blatantly obvious that we were going to have to just basically cut bait and, and figure and figure out what to what to do next, you know. And we looked at it as, all right, here's an opportunity for us to do something else, right? What can we make? How can we make this a positive? So we, as a group, we dove into a time for us to train from a mental standpoint. We we, we hired a mental coach and uh, I went through an intensive mental um, lacrosse kind of training. Uh, process because we felt like all right you've got more time on your hands now let's make it appropriate for something that we can use in the future since we don't have a lot of time to do things like that in season and also we just we challenge our guys to develop different types of relationships you know virtually like this and uh, reaching out each day and, and make sure that we're as present as we possibly can be um, to answer your question about recruiting it's a challenge. It is because we're doing a lot of our work on video now and trying to evaluate guys on a different platform 
Um, none of us in our business have ever done it before. I think the football guys and maybe some other sports are more used to evaluating on film where we're not, you know, so the things that we see while sitting on a sideline of a game or, or watching a kid in person, they're not as obvious on film to us yet. So we're trying to be really deliberate in our, in our process of making decisions. We've developed some relationships with some young kids, but, but honestly, we're not moving as fast as, as we normally would have just because we want to be really thoughtful about the decisions that we're making. And I think ultimately it's going to lead to better decisions, you know, uh, but we'll see. So coach, um, it's Ward. Thanks for coming aboard today. I was in the stands. I know Wags was probably in the press box uh, for the Colgate game. Um, and I was there with some classmates. Uh, uh, one was a retired three-star um, who played uh, intramural lacrosse. Um, so, and we both, or we all three commented that the, the, you know, the, the, the happy days are here again in terms of Navy lacrosse, um, decisive win. Uh, so what, what has been your focus in terms of, of how you go about building a team? What did you leverage from what you did at Marquette? Um, is it, you know, faster middies, quicker sticks that crease attack? What, what have you done to, to write the ship in general terms? Well, I, I can't say that we've righted the ship just yet. I think we've got a long way to go in terms of where we want to be, but I appreciate those comments and uh, I appreciate that you've noticed that there is a difference in, in how our, I think our, on how our players are, are behaving. So to answer your question, Ward, it's not so much X's and O's that we really focused on. While that is an important part of the process, that's a byproduct of, of us really diving into what is our culture going to be like? And that's the thing I learned at Marquette where we didn't have great players, we had to bet the long on, on human beings and how they behave and how they're able to, to build a team together. And collectively as a group, maybe they can play a little bit better than they thought they could individually and beat some teams in the long run because they love each other more, they care about each other more, and they want to win for, uh, for each other so they can perform at a higher rate. So we really dove into who we're going to be moving forward and, and building a new foundation for Navy lacrosse and, and talked about things like, what are our principles? What are the things we want to stand on? And, and if people ask us those questions, I would hope that any one of our guys is able to tell you that we're about love, tough, toughness, growth, and engagement. And my hope is that in the future, as you watch us play, you can see examples of love and toughness and engagement and growth on the field but also in how our guys interact on the yard, what type of midshipmen they are, who they are as family members and friends and teammates. To me, it's an all-encompassing process of building a culture so that everybody lives that preferential, that principled life wherever they are. And it just carries over to the lacrosse field. And you watch us behave on the lacrosse field like excellent athletes, but we're really identifying who we are as, as, um, as Navy lacrosse players. Uh, so that's really been our focus trying to, to dive into that, spent a lot of time talking about what's important to our current mids. And, you know, for us learning about the environment at the academy, we learned through them and we helped, they helped us build the culture that we're going to hopefully have for a long, long time uh, based on their experiences and, and uh, the positives and negatives of this place. Yeah, that's a fantastic answer, Coach. And I'm thinking in terms of the future, not just lacrosse players, but future Navy and Marine Corps officers, because everything you've said there goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning. 
Um, so uh, we, we've remarked on this with the other coaches we've talked about in terms of the attitude that you bring and, you know, what is it about the Naval Academy versus other places you've been in terms of, you know, the population of athletes that you're dealing with. Um, and I'll just, you know, the listeners should focus on coaches answer just now because that is fantastic. Over to you, Wags. You had told me when we did a little debrief that despite the season being so woefully curtailed, I mean, I, what did you end up getting? Four or five games? I forget. What was the total? Five games. Right. But you said despite that, you felt you made a lot of progress in developing the type of program. And I think you just alluded to the culture standpoint. But anything else that led you to tell me that answer, that you made significant progress despite the fact you did not get a full season? Yeah, I, I think we've got enough of a sample size to understand this place and realize what we need to do in the short and long term moving forward, not just from a cultural standpoint, but from an operational standpoint and a lacrosse standpoint. I think specifically to lacrosse, the one thing that we have to be, we have to be better at than our peers is player development. We have looked at, we've looked at the opportunities at the academy in terms of time. And honestly, I'm more surprised than I, than I was. I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised to see that our mids actually have more time than some, some guys at civilian institutions to spend on their game. And we're trying to leverage that to encourage them to create this culture of extra work. And also our model from a, just from a practice standpoint, if we ever get back together, is going to shift to be more focused on player development on a consistent basis. So like the fundamentals of the game, catching and throwing and scooping and doing things that young kids do. And I notice this when, when I coach Team USA, even the best players in the world, they crave the fundamentals of the game. They crave being held accountable and being taught the basics of the game. And when you get great players to focus on the basics, the game becomes easy to them. It's got it, Their habits have to be so it's got to be second nature. And then I think we can get these kids to play at a higher level. So we're, we've built what we think is going to be a great player development model. And I am, I'm not afraid to say this Wags, we are in the business of recruiting, but we're more in the business of player development, right? We're going to recruit people and we're going to try and get the best players out there that fit this institution. But at the end of the day, if we're going to get back to the top of the mountain in this sport, we have to develop our players at a faster rate than anybody else. We've got to do that, you know, excellent. So, so that's the thing I've learned, and it's given us motivation as a staff to try and build something that fits into uh, to the, you know, to, just to the time frame here at the academy. Well, you mentioned recruiting, and I'm going to go to that topic right now because this is something that's absolutely amazing what I'm about to say. But Navy's recently announced recruiting class was rated number one nationally by Inside Lacrosse, which – it's just, frankly, unbelievable when you're thinking about Virginia, Carolina, all of these marquee schools, and here's Navy with the number one rated recruiting class, and I'll mention some of the players. Xavier Arline, an attackman from Shoreham Waiting, he's a five-star recruit. Jackson Bonitz from McDonough, a defenseman from McDonough, another five-star recruit. There's a slew of four-star recruits. There's uh, 10 Under Armour All-Americans in this class. Um, what can you say in general about this class, Joe? And uh, I mean, can you keep recruiting at a level like this? Can I talk about this class four years from now? Because who the heck knows how they're going to perform once they get here? Um, you know, and I usually don't like talking about recruiting, but I think this is one of the unique 
uh, times for us, for any program, honestly, to have a class that is so highly regarded coming in. Uh, I'm blessed and I can't take, I can't take much of the credit. I have to give credit first to my two assistants, John Orson and Brad Ross for really keeping some of the class together. And we inherited a few of those guys, you know, Jackson Bonnets and Dane Swanson, they were verbally committed to the Academy when I took the job. And the first thing that we had to do was love those kids up more because the dogs came out, they came after those kids and it was really a re-recruiting process. And that forced us to learn about the place even quicker um, and really get into some big time battles. What I'm most proud of for Brad and for John, you know, John uh, Orson and Brad Ross is that they went out and found those secondary kids, those kids that maybe aren't as highly regarded that I think you're going to be talking about those guys wags two and three years from now. And those are the guys that uh, while kids like Xavier Arline and Jackson Bonnets and Dane Swanson and Gabe Craven jump off the page at you now, they're going to continue to do that. There's going to be others that, um, that really are going to fit into this player development model and, and become great ones out there nationally. So to answer your question about if we can keep recruiting like this, heck, I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> we better be because now we got we set the bar high, right? Yeah. Well, I'll mention a couple of local kids, by the way, that we should get in there. Uh, Keegan Hauser from Broadneck. I covered a Broadneck playoff game, and Keegan Hauser is a big, strong boy with a high upside. And John Jarrows from Severn School, and we know that uh, Navy's done well from Severn School with Tyler Periton and with some other young players in the program. So maybe John Jarrows could be one of those guys that you're talking about that three years from now is a lot better than his recruiting would say. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. And, I, you know, I think Jarrows is a kid that is going to play with an edge. He comes from a great family. His brother's at the academy. He's a blue-collar kid. Um, he knows how to work. You know, and Keegan – I think the greatest thing about Keegan is his personality. I think his personality is going to make our team better. Uh, he's certainly a skilled player and he's got great potential athletically. Uh, but I think his personality and his confidence level is going to help him develop even more so than his work ethic. So I'm excited for those two guys uh, and kids like Max Hewitt from Colorado, who, um, who decided that Navy was the best option for him. He was really interested in the, in the service academies. The guys like that, I think, are going to make the difference for us as we look to, to climb up this mountain. And last for me, and I'll turn it back over to John or Ward. Um, first and foremost, I'm going to mention that I did a feature in our abbreviated season before it got closed out on Brad Ross and John Orson. And Coach Amplo is very fortunate to have gotten two very, very high-level assistants. Uh, John Orson left Denver to come to Navy, which speaks volumes. And Brad Ross is one of the up-and-coming offensive minds in college lacrosse. Well, last for me, Coach, you had told me in our debrief, season debrief, that you were looking to not do a lot of competitions in the fall. Fall ball lacrosse, usually uh, teams play about four or three or four scrimmages, but Coach Amplo had said he was kind of leaning away from that model. Now with COVID, it looks like you don't have a choice. What are you looking to do in the fall, Joe? We're looking to get in reps upon reps, and that's, you know, small group work. Um, we, we bought some – box boards, portable box lacrosse boards uh, last year that we used for camp. And we're going to utilize that for an opportunity for our guys to compete in a different format to work on their skill work. Uh, Brad has put together a great uh, model for uh, individual work and shooting and also created, he created his own YouTube channel just for our team for offensive drills. So at any point, any one of our guys 
right now can go on the YouTube channel and they can download or look at an example of a drill if they want to go out and shoot in the yard. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's fabulous because there's drills that are categorized by if I'm, if I'm by myself or if I have two players or if it's, there's four players and what do I need so that there's no excuse. There's absolutely no excuse for a kid on our team to get better, you know, and it's, it's great for me because I drive around the yard every like two weeks and I'm there and uh, I see guys with lacrosse sticks shooting. Uh, We're starting to change that culture of the extra work. And I think that's what you expect if you, if you're at some of those other blue blood programs where in the free time kids are going to play lacrosse and at the Academy, I know talking to the loonies, that's what they used to do. They, they knew how to turn the lights off on Dewey field, you know? And I asked our guys, I said, guys, who can turn the lights off here? And nobody knew when they know how to turn the lights off, then it's a tell. It's a tell to me that we're getting somewhere. Right. Or when someone from facilities calls me and says, you got to get your guys out of Halsey field house. They keep shooting lacrosse balls. Sorry. You know, sorry. Slap me on the wrist. Those are the things like the best shooters in basketball, the guys who know the janitor and they can get in the back door and go shoot extra. You know, those are the guys we need. And, uh, and that's what we're trying to create. Coach, awesome answer. You brought up some names and, and so did, so did Wags. And we were talking about Pat Donnelly in the intro segment. You know, the unique thing about Navy that I think stands apart from Marquette, the Marquette program, you basically built from the ground up that came into existence in 2012. Um, Navy has a very rich and storied history. Um, you mentioned Brendan Looney, you know, anyone driving, you know, down Rao Boulevard toward the state house will come over the bridge that is, that is named for Brendan Looney. Uh, we talked about Pat Donnelly, um, the, the rich and storied history, how much have you been engaged by graduates, um, you know, who are still in the area, like the Scott Mushaws from the class of 98 who went to Calvert Hall, the, uh, Mickey Jarbos, who is going to be on the, uh, on, on the segment next. You know, have, have you been engaged by a lot of grads, you know, with the with the intent of, of trying to help out and, and and force multiply for you to get that to get the program back up onto an elite level? Yeah, John. And, and first of all, about Pat Donnelly, I, I signed on when uh, when Wags was was talking about him. And after reading Wags's article yesterday, I got the chills reading uh, that last paragraph that his wife said. And, uh, you know, we can all, can we all be that lucky that the people we love will say that about us when we leave this world? I mean, just if, if, just, can you put that on my tombstone right now, please? That is, if there's anything we're chasing as human beings, I mean, that's it, right? I mean, that's it. Like I, 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 I jumped in the shower. I was thinking about that quote. And I'm like, God, I'm such a bad human being compared to Pat Donnelly. I've got to, I've got to go love my kids and love my wife a little bit more so that they can even think about that for, for five seconds. And here is his wife explaining that about his life, to her life with him. That's just awesome. You know, awesome. So my heart goes out to their family, but what a legacy he left. Um, and then about the other alums, yeah, it has been it has been fascinating to get to know these guys from all different eras. That was one of the things that uh, I don't want to say it was a platform for me in my discussions with Chet, but it was one of the things that I wanted to make sure uh, I, I let it be known that it was important to me. It was important that we engage everyone from this uh, organization all, all the way back to the decade of dominance and before that, and then uh, and even the recent guys, and they have been great. They have been extremely helpful. Uh, they've brought us to really cool places. They've taught us as much as they could about this place. They've been very willing to engage with our questions. Uh, we've had a number of individual engagements, group engagements, and the response has been terrific. It's been fun learning 
about the academy through their eyes. And the consistent thing I will say, John, is I've been fascinated by how not, I don't want to say seamless, I'm struggling for the right word, but how consistent the message has been. I can talk to someone from the 60s or I can talk to someone from who graduated from the 2010s and how they talk about the place, their experience, the challenges, the positives, it's exactly the same. And to me, I think that we call it the brotherhood. That's what makes our brotherhood so unique is that everybody went through the same experience. Everyone went through this place and has their same positive and negative feelings for Bancroft Hall and the classes that they took and walking around the yard and, and, and plebe summer. I think maybe this year's plebe summer, those guys will have a little bit different of experience moving forward, but, um, but it's just fascinating to me, you know? So when we had, I remember one night we had, we had a, a steak dinner at Lunas's steakhouse. Um, and there was about 30 guys there and from probably four different or three different generations of players. Some of these guys didn't know each other or had met briefly in years past. The thing that struck me was how quickly they, if you walked in that room, you would say, well, these guys have been best friends for 30 years when they had just met. And it's because they shared this common bond of being Navy lacrosse players. And they were talking about the same things that they experienced 20 years apart from each other. Um, So I just think that that proves to me that we have got such an advantage in when we look to build a team at this place because their experiences naturally bring them together. Yeah. And you mentioned Luna Steakhouse, um, you know, the, the Luna's family, they were, uh, they were coaches for my dad at St. Mary's high school, uh, when he was playing in the, in the early sixties, I'll, I'll drop it over to Ward for the last question. Um, but you know, from, from my end, thank you so much for what you do coach and, and you know, your, your attitude and, and your contribution to this program. Uh, I, I think we're all very lucky. We're at the very nascent stages of this, but the, but the future is obviously extremely bright. Uh, Ward, go ahead. So coach, what's your temperature going into the spring? Do you think there's any chance for quote unquote normal season or some uh, version thereof? I don't know. I, I mean, I'm trying to get through the next 12 hours, Ward. Honestly, I, I think um, I got to believe my, my, my optimistic attitude has me believing that there's going to be, it's going to be some normalcy here after January, but I, I can't, I have no reason to say that, you know, as things keep changing, I just read today, you know, the Rutgers team, Rutgers football players go out and have a party and, you know, the, the experiences like that, I, decisions like that, they're ruining it for everybody. You know, they're ruining it for, for everyone. Um, I know that Chet and the people at the NAAA are going to fight their tails off to give our, our young men a, an opportunity to compete on whatever platform that, that is allowed. I know that for sure. And I think we are, we're probably positioned better than, than most institutions to have some type of activity because of the restrictions that we can put on our meds at this place. Um, so uh, that gives me some confidence, but what it means like in the, in the broad scheme of things nationally and even uh, conference wide, I don't know. So I'm hopeful or else I'm going to become working for you guys doing podcasts. We, we love it. You're very articulate. You're perfect. Yeah, I, see, You're I, see articulate I might go get, I might go take Mickey's job. Sorry, man. <laughs> Please don't. Please don't. Well, Coach, you're right to point out that the, the, how the football season goes will certainly inform how we move forward with spring sports. 
Um, so, you know, fingers crossed. We are forward leaning as we've talked to Chet and Coach Niamat and other people around the football program. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're wishing Godspeed for success because that will certainly set the tone for winter and, and, and spring sports. Before we go to break, one more thanks to uh, Coach Joe Amplo for making time uh, you know, during, during this very unique uh, time, not only in Naval Academy history, but you know, global history with the pandemic. Uh, Coach, thank you so much for uh, joining Sync Second Sports, and we wish you uh, good luck uh, going through the rest of the summer and, uh, and as we get into your second season. Thanks, guys. We appreciate what you're doing. This has been great to, uh, to stay engaged as much as we can listening to you guys. So thank you from, from all of us for what you guys are doing here. All right, be safe. Coach Joe Amplo, many thanks to him for joining us. We're going to head to break. When we come back, we are going to be joined by Mickey Jarbo, former Naval Academy goalie on the cross team. This is Sing Second Sports. If you're interested in sponsoring the podcast, please shoot us a DM at We Sing Second. That's at We Sing Second. There are a number of national and local sponsorships still available. All right, we're back uh, again. Thanks to uh, Coach Joe Amplo for joining us. Uh, this is our alumni segment, and we're really happy to be joined by uh, Mickey Jarbo. Mickey graduated from the Naval Academy in uh, 2000. He had a Bachelor of Science degree in Political Science. He was commissioned as an ensign in the U.S. Navy and spent uh, the next basically 10 years as a helicopter pilot. He is one of only 13 players in the history of D1 lacrosse to win the C. Marklin Kelly Award, um, presented to the nation's top goaltender, uh, goalkeeper, multiple times. He received the award in 1999 when he guided them into their first NCAA tournament appearance since 1994. And then a year later, he was presented the award a second time. He is one of seven goal goalkeepers in the program's history to earn the award and joins uh, Dennis Wiedekind as Navy's only two-time Kelly Award winners. Uh, a two-time first-team All-American, Jarbo was the 2000 recipient of the Naval Academy Sword for Men, which is presented annually to that midshipman of the graduating class to have personally excelled in athletics during his years of varsity competition. He's a native of Towson, Maryland, and still lives here locally. We're really happy to be joined by Mickey Jarbo. Mickey, how are you? I'm doing great, John. How about you guys? Yeah, we're good. We're hanging on. Um, we're we're happy to be focusing on on lacrosse this week, a, a sport that's that's near and dear to uh, to all of us. Um, so I, I'll just go ahead and and ask you straight off, as we've been asking everybody. You know, during the pandemic, how have you found? Um, you know, how, how has it affected you personally? How is your family doing? How have you kind of adapted in your uh, personal and professional life. Um, you know, how's it going? Yeah, it's, uh, obviously definitely strange times for everybody, but, um, as far as personally and family wise, it's, uh, you know, I got a three, almost three and a half and a two year old. So, uh, they're, they're always home. Um, so nothing really changed for them that much. Um, but, uh, as far as personally for me working from home, obviously gives me a lot more time to spend with them, um, whether, uh, they're interrupting my conference calls or, or whatever, but, uh, that, that part has been great. Um, took a little bit of adapting to just working from home. Um, you can definitely get a lot, there's a lot less distractions besides, besides the kids. So that's, that's a, a good aspect of it, but I'm in sales. So, going out and seeing customers has, has been difficult, um, you know, with, with all this going on, but I would say, you know, 
we've adapted well, um, personally and professionally. So, I mean, it's like, like the cliche, it's the new normal. So we just gotta, gotta keep it going. Yeah, exactly. So for those of you, you know, for those of our listeners who you know might not necessarily know what you're up to, you got out of the Navy after, you know, a really successful career as a pilot. Um, you volunteered with the uh, Navy lacrosse team as you came back into the area. So what, what exactly are you doing professionally now? And, and how are you staying, you know, involved in lacrosse? Um, you know, both, you know, maybe even tracking the, the PLL or, or MLL tournaments going on right now. Um, you know, just a little bit more about what you're, uh, what you're up to. Yeah. So I, uh, like I said, I'm in sales. I sell commercial air conditioning. Um, and, um, you know, obviously everybody needs, needs air conditioning, especially now with it being 96 today. But, um, as far as staying involved, I, you know, when I got out of the Navy, moved back here right away, um, I was helping out with the Hawks with, uh, with coach Hogan did that for, for a number of years. And then the, uh, opportunity came to volunteer with the, uh, with the Navy squad, which was, which was awesome. I was, I was thinking I was the, uh, the, the next Ray Finnegan, uh, helping out with the goalies. Um, that, that was, that was a great time being with, being with the coaches and and the guys kind of felt like you were, you were back in there. I mean, some of those games I'd, I'd be as, just as intense on the sidelines as I was when I was playing. So that was, you know, sparked my, uh, sparked my competitive spirit. Um, then, then work, you know, the, the, the division one teams nowadays, they need full-time support. That's that volunteer position is really, uh, it's a vital role. If somebody can have the time and, um, and resources to be able to do that full time. I mean, that, that was basically kind of what, what happened with me. I was, I was only getting there. Maybe I try every day, but let's say three days a week. And whereas other, other division one teams are having full-time volunteers. So, uh, you know, coach and I made the decision that we should probably go in another direction and, and, you know, both of us understood that, but that was, um, that was a great experience. Um, nowadays with the MLL and PLL, it's, it's, it's been great being able to, to watch the sport that we all love. Um, finally, you know, we, we missed out on the spring. Um, but yeah, those guys on the, on those fields, both MLL and PLL, they're, they're, they're pretty special. And, uh, it's been, been a pleasure to watch. Uh, Mickey, I was on the faculty for your last two years as a mid, so got to watch you um, at, at close range for the home games during those years. Um, obviously, you paid for Coach Richie Mead. What would you say was the secret sauce, the chemistry of, of that era that led to the success of uh, Navy lacrosse in those days? Um, well, it, I mean, it's, it, was, it was everything. The team... Um, the team really, really bonded together. We had a, a great group of guys. I mean, uh, pretty much anybody who's been on any sports team will probably say that, but, uh, we had a great team. The, um, the coaching staff was, was unbelievable. I mean, coach Mead could, would get you to run through a wall. Um, coach Hogan is, is defensively probably, um, one of the best in the country, maybe ever. I mean, he, the way he, he got us prepared, um, on the defensive end was, was very special. Um, and then of course we had John Tillman who was on the offense and, um, uh, you can't say enough good things about him either. And then, uh, and then coach Finnegan, he was, uh, he was one of my, uh, big mentors, um, took a lot from him. 
both on the field and off. Um, so yeah, it was really all parts. I mean, and then, uh, I even saw Stacy was, was on that email, even the support staff that, that we had, uh, via Stacy or, um, we had captain Stevens as our O rep and he was, he was awesome. Captain Thorpe, uh, rest in peace. Um, and actually before captain Thorpe, we had doc Rao, uh, as our academic advisors and, uh, hate to admit it that I had to talk to those guys more often than I probably should have, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, from top to bottom, um, all the people involved was, um, was pretty special. Yeah. You mentioned coach Tillman it reminds me that, uh, he ran the summer camps. And so my boys, uh, actually had direct interface with him at, as campers in those days. Uh, seems like a long time ago. And then the, yeah. the great captain Owen Thorpe, obviously a legend. I think he was the senior 06 um, in the Navy for a number of years. What, what a great guy. What a tremendous loss uh, to the community when, when he passed uh, a few uh, years ago. Yeah. Great stuff. Hey, Mick. Um, so, you know, it's interesting that for this Pat Donnelly obituary tribute I wrote, I've talked to Dennis Wiedekin, who is the only other two-time C. Marklin Kelly Award winner from the Naval Academy. I mean, that really is an amazing accomplishment. That is something that should never be forgotten. You know, we have the Anne Arundel County Sports Hall of Fame and the Chesapeake Chapter of U.S. Lacrosse Hall of Fame, and I'm on both committees, and people always ask when we rate lacrosse players because we all know everybody was an (laughs) All-American in lacrosse. Um, And I tell them, like, here's how you start. Were you the player of the year in the entire country for your position. That's the highest rating I give any lacrosse player when we consider these Hall of Fames. Um, obviously, Matt Russell was another Navy goalie who was a C. Marklin Kelly Award winner. But And uh, John Schofield's father, Jack Schofield, what, was he the 1965 award winner, uh, John? Yeah, 65. Yep. So Jack Schofield with St. Mary's High grad at University of Maryland was the C. Marklin Kelly Award winner. In fact, it's interesting. Dennis Wiedekin was the C. Marklin Kelly Award winner as a, in 63 and 65, and his run was interrupted by one Jack Schofield, <laughs> yeah. which is kind of neat. But just can you talk about that? I mean, that's a really amazing bond, especially amongst the Navies. I don't know if you've ever met Dennis Wiedekin. I know you know Matty Russell. Yeah. Um, but that's an amazing bond that you have with all of those past C. Marklin Kelly Award winners. Yeah, I, I, I do know Dennis uh, um, fairly well. He, uh, of course, he's he is a loyal Don, which you know it, the the Cardinals don't like the Dons too much. But yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I know I know Denny uh, pretty well. Obviously, know Matty Russ uh, very well. Um, and yeah, it's I mean it's, it's not something that we really talk about. Um, you know, I, I might poke fun at, at, at Russ that he was only a, a single award winner. Um, but, um, yeah, it, it is a good bond. It, it is special, but, um, you know, obviously keep everything in perspective. Um, it was, it was a, a great time, a great run. And, uh, hopefully we can, uh, we can get a, a few more, uh, Navy goalies on that list, uh, very soon. Well, you mentioned Ray Finnegan, who was, with Navy lacrosse a long time and we miss him not being with the program and he did do an incredible job working one-on-one with goalies there's a reason why you were a Steve Marklin Kelly award winner Matt Russell I mean he developed so many goalies 
I'm trying to remember the kid from St. Mary. His son, Colin, was the starting goalie for Navy, wasn't he? Yes, he um, was. And I've seen a recovery. Remind me, Ray Finnegan, he taught the high arc. He liked the high arc, right? He he did. That's a, that's a, everybody always kind of puts me in that thing. I'm like, coach, I I don't I don't like the real high arc. I'll play like mid arc, but I I don't like the high stuff. So he was like, all right, you, you do you as far as the arc. Um, but yeah, I think that's guys that were kind of in between. He'd say, try this, and obviously it worked for for a number of years for for Matt for uh, for uh, Coley. Um, that was something that I, I was like, eh, coach, I, I might. Might uh, do my own thing on this piece. <laughs> well, the reason I bring up Ray Finnegan because I, I think it is important for college lacrosse programs to have a goalie coach. Uh, I, I I don't know exactly who's working with the goalies now at, at Navy, but can you just kind of because I think that's you you took that upon yourself when you were with Navy. Can you just talk about how important it is to have a goalie coach, a guy that knows goalie play that can work with the goaltender, and part of it's mental as much as physical. Yeah, I th- I think the uh, the mental aspect is probably uh, more important. I mean the 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 goalies. I mean, and any position player once you get to college, they're they're almost fully developed. You know, um, you know, you Coach Finney would tweak a, a couple things with, with me personally, and and I would try to do the same things with with our guys, whether it was RJ, uh, uh, Nolan. Uh, John Connors, just you know, tweak a little bit because if you change too much, especially at that level, uh, I think that you'd probably do more hurt than good. Um, as far as the mental aspect, you know, that having a, a a goalie advocate on the staff um, can alleviate some um, some things as far as the rest of the coaching staff. I know a couple times uh, it happened to coach Finney with, with coach Mead and a couple times with me, me with coach soul, they'd be like, what, what's he doing? Like, why didn't he save that? I'm like, the guy's at 10 yards and, you know, and front and center, you know, they not, not anybody's going to get that. So, uh, I think, I think that's just as important just to kind of, uh, give the perspective to, to the coaching staff as far as, uh, uh, as far as that's concerned. So uh, last question from me, Mick, before uh, I kick it over to Ward for, for his last, um, you know, so you, you obviously faced a lot of guys, you know, both, you know, on, on your own team in practice and, and uh, in competition, you know, you, you had the, uh, the Boris brothers on your team, uh, you know, Scotty Mushaw, John Brianis, um, you know, who, you know, who did you face number one on your own team who had the hardest shot that you just did not want to face? And then, uh, and then out there uh, against other teams, you know, who, who was the guy you did not want to see uh, with the ball and the stick coming toward you? Yeah, unequivocally on on our team, it's it's Adam Bors. His uh, and I say that to everybody. Like, who's who's the best shooter you ever faced? I'm like Adam, because he's he had the velocity, um, but he could place it so well, um, and and his his stick positions and and his release points were were always different. I. He's not he's not as good as Ryan Brown now, but he's he's a similar type shooter where he can come from from low to high, low to low, high to low, um, all that stuff. So definitely Adam on on our Navy team. Um, as as far as other guys, I, I I try thinking about that often. I think in college, at least my junior year, and then in in the MLL, uh, John Grant uh, Jr. He uh, it's funny when he, um, 
he he transferred into Delaware as a uh, as a junior, and um, and we're playing them on Rip Miller, and uh, Coach Hogan's like they they got this Canadian and uh, he's he's really good and you know we're gonna put Chad Donnelly on him and we're like okay like wh- whatever and I I didn't really face too many Canadians uh, up until that point and I'm like all right what's the big deal. And I think he might have had one or two assists, maybe one goal. Didn't and I'm like this guy. We we ended up winning, and I'm like this guy. Come on, whatever. And then uh, and then follow up the next year, we we go down to play them at, at Delaware, and I think he rung up five goals on me, and he just he just developed his field field play so much better. I'm like, geez, we we definitely underestimated him at this point. Don't tell Junior that now, but. Uh, now I, I think he's uh, he's he's a phenomenal shooter in tight out out far, um, so I'd probably say him uh, outside the Navy team. What's remarkable is that John Grant Jr. is still playing. I know he played in the MLL tournament. Yeah, it's it's insane. He's he's kept himself in great shape, and his stick is I mean unbelievable. Yeah, that is insane. So Mickey, uh, John was talking about your bio at the outset. You were a helicopter pilot. Were you an HS, HSL? Which which kind of which flavor of, of squadron were you in? Good question. Yeah, it was HSL, and then that community transitioned to HSM. Um, it's basically the same mission, but they they changed. Uh, they were phasing out the Bravo version of the sixty helicopter into the um, the Romeo version. Um, um, so, so what what would you say? And you did that for a decade. What did you leverage from your Navy varsity sports experience that allowed you to get through not just flight school, but be effective out in the fleet? Uh, it, probably managing the pressure um, and, and not getting all freaked out because stuff happens uh, in the air and even on the ground that you can't, you can't freak out about. Uh, you just have to go through the procedures that, that you're taught and that you've memorized to uh, um, to fix the problem. Um, Mickey, uh, on behalf of Sing Second Sports, really appreciate you making time today um, and, and remaining a part of the, uh, you know, the Naval Academy family. Um, we, we definitely look forward to a return to normalization, particularly uh, a couple of beers out there in the parking lot for, uh, for football game tailgates. Um, you know, we can, uh, we can definitely celebrate under better, better circumstances, but for now we'll have to do it over Zoom. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, enjoy the rest of your summer and uh, and stay healthy, okay? Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, guys. That was, uh, that was a lot of fun. Awesome. All right. Hey, that was Mickey Jarbo, um, class of 2000 from the Naval Academy. Uh, great goalkeeper. Um, and if you need commercial uh, air conditioning, you know, please, please contact Mickey um, for that. So we're going to go to break. And when we come back, uh, we'll, uh, we'll take it out. Uh, with Wags and Ward with uh, some last hot takes. This is Sing, second sports. If you're interested in sponsoring the podcast, please shoot us a DM at We Sing Second. That's at We Sing Second. There are a number of national and local sponsorships still available. All right, we're back. Uh, really awesome discussion there with Mickey Jarbo. Um, our producer, Chris Cervello, was making fun of me. I was going full fanboy with uh, with Coach Amplo and, and Mickey, but Mickey is just a fantastic dude, and it's great seeing him back in the area uh, after such a successful 
uh, Naval Academy career. So as we bring it out, we had we had a great conversation about Pat Donnelly, um, getting Joe Amplo's perspective, and then uh, and then Mickey's perspective as a graduate. Ward, what's what's your takeaway? Your obvious your line of questioning is is so good, and it lined up perfectly with what Joe Amplo was saying that. What you get from the physical mission at the Naval Academy translates directly into performance in the fleet and your ability to take care of adversity out there. You know, your, your perspective on, on what Mickey and Joe Amplo said. Well, I was very impressed with, with Coach Amplo's answer to my question. And, and so this is sort of the intangible and credit to Chet. And, and, you know, some alums, intramural warriors want to want to talk about Division One sports and all this as counter to the mission. And I would submit Coach Amplo's answer as fundamental to the mission, as well as Mickey's answer about handling pressure as a function of what he learned in goal. Um, and we all know that, you know, uh, as uh, Wags was talking about me as a dinghy sailor, you know, uh, the ability to, to, to be first to the windward mark and, and, and keep your head in a crowd, you know, I leveraged in the backseat of a Tomcat, you know? So I, I just think that this show uh, and, and what we're creating here um, is broader than just a didactic discussion about sports. Um, and, and I'm just heartened every time we talk to any one of our guests about the perspective that, that their comments yield towards the bigger mission. So uh, particularly Coach Amplo, I'm just so excited about him as part of the, the, uh, the coaching staff at Navy. Further, it makes me very much yearn for some sort of normalcy going into the spring, right? We've got to have lacrosse. Um, you know, obviously we want football in some fashion. I want to be able to do the chain gang. I want the Navy Notre Dame game to be at Navy Marine Corps Stadium. I'd like it to happen on Labor Day. But if that's you know, has to be mitigated in some way because of the current pandemic. I'm hoping we solve it to the degree that we can have lacrosse at Navy Marine Corps in the in springtime, which is a rite of spring in Annapolis, in any lacrosse town, but certainly in Annapolis. For sure. And and Wags, I'll go over to you. Obviously, an encyclopedic knowledge of lacrosse. You mentioned the uh, you know the Annapolis or the Anne Arundel County chapter of the National Lacrosse Hall of Fame. Um, you you've been covering lacrosse forever. Uh, your perspective on on how Joe Amplo um, is is bringing this program up, and um, yeah, you highlighted the recruiting part. Yeah, is is the future bright for Naval Academy of Lacrosse? Well, I've been very impressed with Joe Amplo. I mean, I've, you know, he's been here a short time, and I already feel like he's a friend. He's just got that kind of personality, and I have to imagine that his players warmed up to him very well, just because he's a very personable person. He's a good person. He's, I think he is the perfect man for the job. I think Chet Gladchuk hit a home run with hiring Joe Amplo. He's got a great staff in place. Um, and they were already had done a lot of great work in moving the program forward in the short time he's been here. So, yeah, I'm very, very encouraged about the direction of Navy lacrosse under Joe Amplo. And you, you heard him on our – he was an amazing – Speaker, uh, everything he said was spot on. He well spoken, um, just a lot of really good points. He's very thoughtful. Yeah, I, I like Joe. I mean, the guy's got pedigree. He uh, he built Marquette from the ground up into a pretty darn good program. He's been with Team USA. He's a John Donowski guy, and John Donowski's a Hall of Fame coach, one of the greatest in the sport. And that's 
that's Joe's mentor. Um, so yeah, Joe Amplo is first class. Yeah, for sure. Um, awesome, awesome opportunity here to talk about lacrosse. We had interviewed Tyler Perriton in a, in a previous pod. Uh, now the opportunity to talk to one of the alumni and the current head coach. Uh, and, and I second what, what Ward said. I, I miss those days of, of, you know, going out to Navy Marine Corps Stadium and tailgating and, and watching, you know, a game that is very, very important for us in the, uh, in the mid-Atlantic region, particularly in, in Annapolis. So uh, any former Navy lacrosse players out there want to come on the pod, uh, please contact us and, uh, and we'd be happy to talk to you. Um, hey, John, or, one, one errata, oh, one correction. Yeah. So I, I said Joe Donnelly in, in the outset. I was thinking of a different flag officer. I'm going to be able to cross yeah. uh, I meant, of course, <laughs> Pat Donnelly. So yep. don't send yeah, us we'll, any hate mail. <laughs> for sure. Um, all right. So, again, for Ward Carroll, for Bill Wagner, for Chris Ravello, many thanks to him for continuing to uh, make us sound uh, like we know what we're doing on here. I am John Schofield. Uh, we will see you next time on Sing Second Sports. We're going to bring you a special about the reopening of the Naval Academy Golf Course, which is happening here in a couple of days. Uh, hopefully talk to a couple of people as they come off the course. I know Ward has one of the first tee times, that lucky bastard. And, uh, and we will look forward to talking to you next week. Uh, again, this is Sing Second Sports brought to you by Mills Fine Wine and Liquors in downtown Annapolis. Please have a good week. Please wash your hands, wear a mask, and be good to each other. I'm John Schofield. This is Sing Second Sports. Out. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of podcast segments. Thank you.